The following audio is from Gold Country Baptist Church in Shingle Springs, California. Visit gcb.church to find more resources and to learn about our church. Well, many years ago, there was a show, some of you may remember, it was called America's Dumbest Criminals. I don't know if any of you watched that show, but... Much of the show, as I recall, was about people trying to break the Eighth Commandment, but not always very intelligently. There was one that I remember where a guy came into a a store and he pretended like he was going to fill out a job application. He wanted to speak to the manager, and so they give him a job application. He's waiting for the manager to come out who had access to the money. He's filling it out, and then when the manager comes, he pulls out a gun and he robs them of their of their money, but the genius actually wrote his real name and address on the job application while he was waiting for the manager, and he left it there, and so the detectives came, and they literally went right to the guy's house and asked if he was there and arrested him. We have detectives in our congregation, and I heard another one tell a true story, and I I saw this picture there. There were some guys stealing from a home And while they were robbing the home, they were having a good time, and they took a selfie of themselves, but they left the camera there, and so the detective had their mug shots, date and time stamped, at the scene of the crime. And as dumb as they were, we are foolish, though, if we think our sin will not find us out. If we think our sin is not seen by God. Today in Exodus 20, verse 15, we're going to look at the Eighth Commandment. And it's just four simple words, you shall not steal. But don't think this is a simple one for you to keep. Maybe some of you are thinking, finally, one of the Ten Commandments that, that I don't break. I've never burglarized a home. I've, I've never done an armed robbery like that story. I'm not a shoplifter. I'm not a pickpocketer. But it would be foolish for us to think that we can't or don't or won't be guilty of this in some way. The fool steals as if there is no God, but every date and time is seen by God. And today we're going to see that we can all steal. This sin is going to ID us. This is a sin that actually has our names written on it. This is a sin that's going to find us where we live. And I want us to consider for our outline here our problem, how we can steal, our our solution, and then our application. So our problem, our solution, and our application. And I'm using the title Stop Thief because it's, it's as if God in this passage is calling out, stop thieving. He's calling his people to stop stealing, to not steal Exodus 20, verse 15, you shall not steal. And just a basic definition of of stealing I'm working with is taking what is not yours to take without permission or consent. It it doesn't belong to you. It's not yours to take. And and you don't have permission or consent from who you are taking from. Belongs to someone else. And so by that definition, this was part of the original sin in the garden of Adam and Eve, right? They took what was not theirs to take and they ate of the tree. And 
We could also say this is one of the earliest sins of, of many of us in this room as, as toddlers. We became very good at taking away things that weren't ours without asking, grabbing things, taking them away. Before little kids can talk, they can take. And if they could, they would do violent crime to get what they want. It's a blessing that God makes children small. But we are natural-born stealers. And you young moms probably see this often throughout the day. It's, it's not something you have to teach your children how to take things that aren't theirs. This is something we need to actually teach, verse 15, because toddlers can be robbers in their heart, taking things by force, but this sin is no game to God. As kids grow, they steal things, they steal, they take Maybe it's even things, they take food secretly, eat it in the garage. There's all kinds of ways they're taking. Al Mohler tells the story of a five-year-old coming home with a, a kitten that she said her neighbors gave to her. But it was actually years later that it came out. The neighbors didn't actually give that kitten to her. And so she was actually a, a cat burglar, we might say. But it what was interesting is when the neighbors found out, they were actually glad that that kitten had just been stolen to a good home. Because if you know anything about it, sometimes it's hard to get rid of kittens. But I remember as a boy stealing stuff. I remember also growing up being stolen from. And, and in both of those where I would steal from or where I'd be stolen from, I would feel terrible in different ways. But most of us did worse as kids than than kitten napping, but the serious truth is sin that starts in little things or little kids becomes bigger. And this is a sin we see in big government. I grew up in a poor country in the Philippines where their president, Marcos, literally stole billions of dollars from their people and destroyed their economy from the poorest in the Republic of the Philippines. My son was born in Congo where the president's embezzling also has wrecked and destroyed their economy. All around the world, there's multi-billionaires who have literally stolen from their own people that they pledge to serve. Corrupt criminal thievery and bribery rules the third world. And the U.S. gives billions to arm some of those countries. There's people here who grew up under communism, where the state takes property from civilians, and there's socialists who want to take what you worked for to give to others who won't work, to refuse to work, but to receive a handout or a bailout, even if it's legal, can be a type of stealing. God's law tells us not to wrongly take and that can include taking government resources in a way not consistent with God's word. God commands the able-bodied to work and to labor weekly. That's the fourth commandment in verse 9. The New Testament says, If a man is not willing to work, he shall not eat. And we're not to steal, the New Testament says. We need to work with our hands so that we have something to give and to share with others. We're not to take from the state what God tells us to work for and Exodus 20, verse 15, is also teaching there's things that you rightly own that, that you have paid for that are not to be taken. 
And so the foundation of this commandment is the right to private property, that it is wrong to take by force. God has stewarded us, us with resources and, and given us ownership and, and stewardship with what we have. And so the, the communist Marxist taking of that away and making the government own all resources also is a violation of this. There's ways that there can be state-sponsored theft that violates God's law. And it's also wrong to, to steal or take away people's rights or to steal personal information and privacy and identity. And there's a lot of that going on in our world. Closer to home, and just in verse 14 of Exodus 20, just one verse before adultery or immorality is a way that we can steal what is not ours. You can steal someone else's purity. The New Testament calls it defrauding, taking physically or visually what does not belong to you, what only belongs to a covenant partner in marriage. And so in the law, in chapter 22 of Exodus, when a a man seduces a young virgin, he's robbing her of virginity, and he had to pay a a huge price. A a couple that's dating that partially or illicitly steals premarital intimacy are, are thieves, in that sense. Pornography rips off images and sex from God's design, and it holds up humanity as if just an object and sometimes trafficked people being treated as property or even a part of that. And, and Exodus 21 speaks to kidnapping and trafficking. Look at Exodus 21, verse 16, where it says, He who kidnaps a man, whether he sells him or he is found in his possession, this could be a man or a woman, that person shall surely be put to death. That's the most serious stealing. Man-stealing is how it's sometimes translated. And so by God's law, Hamas, hostage-takers, deserve any kind of deadly force that they face. I believe it's also dead wrong for a government to pay bribes or or ransoms to nations that would fund that. God is deadly serious against human trafficking that we can be complicit in financially. And, And verse 16 says, it's not just the buyer or the seller. It is a sin to have what is stolen to possess what someone else stole makes you guilty in God's eyes. So there's a lot of ways we could look at the world, but I want to bring it maybe closer to our own hearts as we look at this. We could talk about the dangers of the socialist push. We could talk about the dangers of scams. We could talk about cyber theft, and these are all growing things in our world. And it's, it's good, by the way, to ask wise friends or family if you're unsure with some message, some mail or email that you get. I I think we need to honor the elderly and honor parents and grandparents by helping them in this world of theft. But I want to focus our time not on others who might steal from us, but ways that we can steal from others. I think of Paul Washer preaching to a big youth gathering years ago when he's He's preaching about how we're not to be like the world, and the crowd begins to clap, and he says, I don't know why you're clapping. I'm talking about you. It got pretty quiet after that. I'm talking about you. Exodus 20, verse 15 is talking about you. God's word is talking to you. Don't think of other people. Think of yourself. This is for you from God. We need to see it that way. And so I want to show you this is actually from... Saturday Evening Post, many years ago, 
1936, there's a chicken being weighed at a grocery store. And I don't know if you can tell, there's a couple little details in there. But the, the woman is just being weighed to see how much she owes. She's kind of putting her th- finger on it, just giving it a little boost, just to make it a little bit sweeter deal for her, a little less that she has to pay by the pound. But what's the butcher doing? He's on the other end, and he's, he's kind of just putting his finger there, kind of pushing it down a little bit. And here's what one writer said, The butcher and the lovely lady would resent being called thieves. This lady would never rob a bank or steal a car. And the butcher would be indignant if anyone accused him of stealing. If a customer gave him a bad check, he would call the police. But neither of them saw anything wrong with just a little deception that would make a few cents for one or for the other. And this is a picture of how we seek to live, trying to manipulate life for our advantage. That The Proverbs talk about imbalanced weights or scales to profit us, that those are actually an abomination to the Lord. That's strong language only used of certain sins, but one of those is tipping scales in our favor. It's one thing to seek a deal. It's another thing to steal, to tip the scales even a bit in your favor. Romans 2.21, while you preach against stealing, do you steal? And Romans 3.20 says, through the law we become conscious of sin. And here's what Romans 13 says. It's actually going to quote the commandment, do not steal, but it, it fills out some other context. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Those are all things that we could steal or not give what's owed. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another, for he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments, and he goes through them, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever else commandment there may be are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. And so that fills out, that's what sums up commands like you shall not steal and the the Tenth Commandment, you shall not covet and the rest. We need to love our neighbor as ourselves. We're to do no harm to our neighbor. We're not to, to take anything from our neighbor that would harm them. You can steal from your neighbor's well-being by not giving him respect, honor, and, and love. We could do that with our words, not just with our wallet. The context of stealing includes not giving what you owe, which can be relational in some of what it describes, as well as material things borrowed. And if you borrow something from someone and you don't give it back, that's considered stealing. Psalm thirty-seven twenty-one says it's the wicked who borrows and does not return. Some of you have things that you've borrowed that you need to return from your fellow man. There may be physical stuff. There may be funds or food. Or he said, I'll, I'll get you back. And you didn't. Some of you need to pay Uncle Sam. Some of you need to pay a, a relative or a family member. Some of you need have high interest debt that you need to pay or you have unpaid taxes you need to pay. Romans 13 says we need to do, we need to pay what we owe. This is a word to our credit card world. God says to pay promptly for work done for us or for resources we use. If you stream 
movies or music illegally that you didn't pay for. The law calls that stealing. The government authorities call that stealing. And to take someone else's license or log on outside of the home or outside of whatever the legal agreement in is, is theft. Even if a person let you willingly take it without paying, violating copyright law is considered stealing. And just this week I had some CDs and DVDs I got a long time ago that I realized were illegally copied overseas, and I, I put them in the trash this week. Not everything you get on eBay is okay, just so you know. And as I realized that researching this, I, I got rid of that. A friend here in this church told me years ago, he deleted downloads and trashed digital unlawful copies because he heard a sermon on this commandment. And there may be things where you need to clean house today. If, if you've given things that you shouldn't have, or even giving things to your friends for free access to a paid service. Change your password to do whatever you need to do to make that right. The Bible calls taking away people's rights a type of robbing in Isaiah. Copyrights are a part of legal rights that I think Christians can violate and not realize that's not right. Here's another one. Taking words or ideas without permission or attribution is theft. It could be called plagiarism. There's ways we can cheat by taking others' words. Jeremiah 23, 20, God says he is against all who steal my words from one another. We can do this when we quote without credit or we cut and paste something online as if it's mine. That is unlawful. That's intellectual theft. This is a big problem, I think, in our world with with chat GPT and with AI and with the multiplying ways that there's just so much available easily, ways that you can steal text for work, for homework. I, I know people here have seen how that type of stealing literally can, can end someone's career. There, there's been big-name pastors, even a recent president of the SBC, that have been proven thieves in these ways. As, as Christians, we need to guard from this. Kids, if you take answers from someone else for a school assignment, that is stealing, even if your friend lets you. If the authority doesn't authorize it, that is wrong. Don't take what is not rightly yours. Don't even take from a family member without asking and without returning. Some of you are trying to find some clothes that your siblings borrowed and without asking, you don't even know where they are. I felt convicted this week for robbing the fridge of leftovers that my wife had other plans for. Just a confession. I did confess to her also. I, I also, this is, this is one that hits me close to home. I think there's many times where I steal time that belongs to my family. Just being on my phone, doing things or, or taking away without asking. It's, it's, uh, I mean, sometimes we've got to do that and we can ask, hey, can I take care of this? But we need to be careful of robbing from our family the precious time that we have. We, we think of stealing as financial, but there's all kinds of ways. Precious time is a commodity that has a price. If you meet with someone and you show up way late, you are taking away their valuable time. Or if you take way more time than you ask for or you don't ask if you can go longer, 
That's, that's not right. It's also wrong to hijack someone's group or meeting for your own soapbox. Remember the definition of stealing is taking what is not ours to take without asking or without consent. This is not a new spin on the Eighth Commandment. Here's what the old Westminster Larger Catechism says. It includes taking or withholding from our neighbor what belongs to him. It includes wasteful gaming, idleness, or the Heidelberg Catechism adds abuse and waste of his gifts. So that can be taking time or wasting time as a way we can take what we shouldn't take. And there's ways that we can take time where money is involved. When you're taking time and stealing in that way from your employer. You take company supplies or you take longer breaks or lunches than you're paid for or expected to take. When you squander time, when you're just surfing the web, when you're just solitaring. I don't know if that's a verb, but playing solitaire. If you're texting or minutes on the hour where you're on the clock... That's a way you can steal. If, if a copy machine or phone is for work, it's not for personal work without consent of your authority. And wasting time that is company time by just chatting all the time is a way, it's a type of theft of resources. So we think of pirates who steal treasures, but God's people need to steward time and talent and treasures. And there's another way that we can steal. Malachi 3.8, will a man rob God? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me, God says. But you say, how have we robbed you? God answers, in your tithes and contributions or your offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, God says. In the old covenant law, they were to give a tithe or a tenth of their produce or profit, the first 10%. And there were also voluntary contributions and, and offerings. That's more of the New Testament uh, language in 2 Corinthians 8 through 9. But to not give to the Lord's work is a type of robbing according to the Lord. And we're not Old Testament Israel, but we're to be generous. We're not to stingily give less. To, to not give when God blesses us. To not give the, the, of our first fruits or our finances back to him, according to the Old Testament, was there was a curse that came with that. To those not regularly and generously giving, God says, test me. This is one of the few times we're to test God. He says, see if I won't bless and provide if you put me first in your giving. Worse than stealing from Peter to pay Paul is stealing for ourselves what belongs to the master. And I think there's a real sense in which when you don't give and when you don't serve the church, you're actually robbing yourself of a blessing, but you're robbing others of the blessing when you serve, when you are involved in people's lives, giving of your lives to them. And there's a final way that I could think of, there may be more, that we can steal is by taking credit or glory from God for what he's done by us. So people might praise you. Don't take what belongs to him. Give God the credit. Don't rob him of his glory. Say, praise God. I'm, I'm thankful to God. It's all him. And so you, can you see how, by God's law, we are all takers. If 
by nature. If we have that definition of, of taking what's not ours to take, we are all takers by nature. But God in the gospel is a giver, and God is a Savior. And so we're going to move from our problem to our solution, and that is what Jesus pays for and restores in the gospel. And here's where we need the good news. The gospel tells us for Jesus it was not robbery for him to be equal with God. Through what Jesus does, he came as a man to pay for sin and to restore what sin has lost. Psalm 23, we know that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It says he restores my, what? My soul. He restores my soul. And in the New Testament, Jesus is the Lord, my shepherd, who who restores. He restores spiritually. Here's how he describes his mission in John 10. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. The thief, he said, comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I came that they may have life and might have it abundantly. So those the, the thief that has come before, all he wants to do is steal. He wants to kill. He wants to destroy. Jesus comes that you would have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I lay it down that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. No one stole the life of Jesus from him. He says, I have authority to take it up. He, he did it of his own accord, and he had the power to take it back up again. I give them eternal life, he says, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. In other words, the thief cannot snatch you out of his hand. Satan cannot snatch you out of his hand. No sinner, nothing you've done or others can do can steal you out of the hand of the Lord and his eternal security. And this is what he does for us who sinfully take what isn't ours. He takes what our sin deserves on the cross as he lays down his life. No man could take what wasn't theirs to take from him. No man could take his life. And there's no man in the history of the world who could take up his own life in resurrection except for Jesus. He took up his own life. He came to pay for sin and to restore all that was lost when Adam and Eve stole in the garden. Satan came as a, as a thief who from the beginning has been stealing, has been destroying and, and robbing of life. But our Savior came to pay for and to give freely abundant life and eternal life as a free gift free for the taking, for all who wrongly take. Jesus takes the wrath that our wrongs deserve, and he gives us what we cannot earn. Acts chapter 3 says Jesus comes to restore all things, and, and it says this, repent and turn to him so that your sins can be blotted out. Your sin, whether this sin or any sin, can be blotted out if you'll repent and turn to him as he restores all things. Religion can't do this. Religion cannot save. Jesus actually came to the religious people and he, he turned the tables on those who had made his house a den of thieves. Psalm 69 is the prophecy of his cleansing the house of robbers. He says, zeal for your house has consumed me. This is talking about Christ. And then it says in Psalm 69, for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. 
That's on the cross. Listen to this. Verse 4, Psalm 69. What I did not steal, I then have to restore. Or the New King James wording, though I have stolen nothing, I still must restore it. That's Jesus on the cross. He didn't steal anything, but he restores what sin stole. In the Garden of Eden, paradise lost was was stolen by sin, but Jesus is the way to paradise restored. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he said this as they arrested him. Have you come against me as against a robber with your clubs and your swords? He says, are are you treating me like a robber that you need this whole army to arrest me? You've come against me as a robber. And they were treating him as a as a robber, as a criminal, he, he suffered uh, at their hands. And, and even on the cross, he was treated on the cross as if a thief. And he's doing this for thieves. And they actually crucified him between two robbers. That's what Mark's gospel says. He's crucified between two robbers. But Luke's gospel says, as, as that day unfolded, as Jesus said, Father, forgive them. And as that day unfolded, one of the thieves... The thief on the cross on one side turned to him, and he turned to him in faith. This dying thief begged Jesus to remember him in the kingdom to come, and Jesus told that convicted robber, today you will be with me in paradise. Paradise was restored for this criminal. Jesus paid the fine for that sinner's crime and for all that our sin steals he restores thieves who believe isn't this good news for us the the hymn in the cross of christ i glory has this line once the love of the world could sway me i with dying thieves agreed washed in blood ridiculous notion jesus none but fools believe but then came the day he found me dying death and hell awaited me and like that thief i cried to the savior wash me lord have mercy on me and our closing song says the dying thief rejoiced to see that day, and, and I, even though as vile as he, can have all my sins washed away. Amen. When Jesus died, the leaders wanted to keep the disciples from stealing the body. But Jesus stole the thunder, we might say, because he rose from the dead. And the earthquake came and all of that, and he had plundered the enemy. And his, he had spoils of, of victory, the Paul says later, and he offers treasure in heaven. He says, treasure in heaven where thieves cannot break in and steal. So much of the gospel is on this theme. But if you don't repent, Jesus will come as a thief in the night. And you don't expect. And he will judge all who sin in these ways and others. 1 Corinthians 6.10 says, No unrepentant idolater, sexual or homosexual sinner, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers, which is another violation of the Eighth Commandment, none of them who are unrepentant will inherit the kingdom of God. But then he says, That is what some of you were. There were people in that church that had been swindlers, thieves, greedy, former homosexuals, former drunkards and slanderers, and and that didn't mark their life. They weren't always that. 
He says, that's what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Praise God for the gospel. Those sins do not define you. Those sins are not your identity. You are new in him. And the gospel calls us to live like it. And so turn to Luke 3 for our gospel application in conclusion. And the application is don't be a taker, be a giver. The gospel doesn't just save us, it it changes us. And in Luke 3, John the Baptist came preaching in verse 8, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And look at chapter 3, verse 10. The crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation. Isn't it interesting? In a lot of ways, he's saying the same thing to each of these people. And at the end of that, to the root of it, he says, and be content with your wages. Instead of theft, be content, be generous, share with those who have less. And then verse 18, so with many other exhortations. He preached good news to the people. The gospel doesn't just tell us to put off. The gospel also gives us the power to to put on the opposite as fruit of repentance. Don't just stop violating the eighth commandment. Start by a changed heart. Ask God to help you be a giver instead of a taker. We're, We're inclined to be takers. We need God's help to be givers. Turn to Luke 10. And remember, the Ten Commandments are about loving God and loving neighbor, and Jesus says that's the right summary of the law. What does love for our neighbor look like? Luke 10.30, Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three, so we've got the Levite, the priest, the Samaritan, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go 
and do likewise. It's not enough to not be the robber in this story. We're not to be the religious, merciless, indifferent ones. Love your neighbor is the flip side of you shall not steal. Spending for the needs of others. Putting off criminal theft isn't enough. We need to put on compassion, care, be willing to be close and personal with those who are in need. And think about this also. Jewish and Samaritan relations in that day were kind of like Israeli-Palestinian relations in modern times. And in this story that Jesus tells, it's the non-Jew who proved to be a neighbor. We call him the Good Samaritan. We've heard that a lot, but that, that didn't sit real well with this Jewish law expert. Just think of the term a good Palestinian in a story being told to Jews. The one who's expected to hate in the story is actually the model for the love of God. Did you notice when Jesus tells the story to this Jewish man, he says, which one showed mercy? You know, is it the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan? The guy doesn't say the Samaritan. It's as if he can't bring himself to say that. He says, the, the one who showed mercy. The one who showed mercy. But you see, gospel grace can transform enemies to love neighbors. This is what this man needed. This is the point he missed. This is the love that he needed. He needed the love of God, the love that he didn't have. And that's our hope. That's our prayer for the Middle East, and that's our prayer for merciless Americans. We need this love. And it's impossible apart from receiving it from the Lord. This is not human love. But go to chapter 19, and we'll see another Jewish person who was transformed. He was a chief tax collector. They were considered the chief of sinners because they would steal a cut for themselves for the pagan Roman occupying government and their tax bills. They would charge more than, than what Rome was asking for so they could become rich. And, and this man was rich. He was a, a wee little man. He was a wee little man who climbed up a sycamore tree There's a song that maybe you're thinking of right now. The Savior passed that way. And verse 5 says, He looked up and said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, or I'm going to your house, or I must stay at your house today. And so he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, these are the Jewish religious leaders, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of, of a man who is a sinner. You can almost imagine, oh, oh, a sinner. That's not in the text, but you just imagine it. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. He understood Exodus 20, and he also understood Exodus 22 that we'll get to in another message of fourfold restitution for stealing. You see, these religious Jews Jews saw Zacchaeus as a Roman government sellout 
But Jesus saw someone who was redeemed and saved. He says salvation has come to his house. This is a true son of Abraham. And these religious people studying Abraham and Moses were not true sons of Abraham by faith because they rejected the message. And so I want to close with Ephesians 4, but that, that's what bearing fruit of repentance looks like. The beginning of Luke's gospel talks about bearing fruit of repentance. That's one of the examples of what fruit of repentance looks like, making, making right whatever wrongs there are, receiving Jesus joyfully, repentantly restoring any wrongs. Some of you maybe need to come down in a hurry. Some of you here may need to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Welcome him into your life and your home today. Some of you here today may need to make right some wrongs from the past. There may be restitution, things that have been on your conscience that you haven't dealt with. And for others, what can you give to the poor? What can you give to the work of the Lord? Or do you need to give to the church more? Whatever it is, don't, be, don't stay a taker. Jesus said, freely you have received, freely give. Our, our life as Christians is not about taking, it's about giving. And here's Ephesians 4.28, puts it together in conclusion. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So when is a thief no longer a thief? Jay Adams would say it's not when he stops stealing. That could just be a thief in between jobs. A, a thief stops being a thief when his heart has changed. It's changes in motivations. Notice he's got a this, the coveting heart can continue to theme, but this is to thieve. But this is a new heart that wants to share with others. It's got a new motivation. It wants to do honest work to to share with others. the The gospel has transformed the one who used to steal to to now strive to help meet others' needs and to to not just try to meet his own greeds. What he wants. God can change those who dishonestly get extra from others to now honestly work hard to give extra to others. May God help us who are takers by nature to become givers more by gospel grace. Amen. We pray for his help. Our God, we thank you for Christ. We thank you, Father, that you gave the ultimate gift, the ultimate sacrifice. You gave your own precious Son. May we not treat his gospel as less than precious in his precious blood. Lord, help us to be changed in some way in our hearts and minds. Help us to, to not take, but to give. Lord, I pray that for myself. I am convicted even as I came to this message, not knowing uh, this study, not knowing the depth of this, Lord, help us to continually seek your grace by the gospel so that we can give more to others for the glory of Christ, we pray. Amen.